Okay, so I, I said to the worship planning team, I said, you know what, let's use Dick Augustine on laughter. You know, last time he was really funny. Last time. But, you know, um, I didn't know he'd take such liberty with his lead pastor business. And, 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 and the sad thing about this week was I didn't get a chance to go. I usually go through with Joel and Andrew just really step by step everything. And because of stuff going on in my week, didn't happen. First time probably in years. The last time, too. Um, <laughs> I didn't know it was going to be this wonderful setup. But anyway, laughter is really good. It's a great thing. Proverbs tells us it's good for the soul. It is like heart medicine. It actually, it actually has been found to relieve stress and can actually heal the body. It is like oil in strained relationships. There's actually been empirical studies that show that humor in marriage is one of the ingredients that if you look for that, reveals a marriage that has the potential of making it. Often they will do these studies over time. Laughter makes work lighter. It breaks down walls of defensiveness. Uh, it is very common when a speaker will speak and they say something that's funny that they can then move into that because people are in a place where their hearts open and vulnerable. Laughter creates vulnerability and it is a good thing. It is a good thing. It is something found widely throughout the kingdom of God. People who are kingdom life people, who know Jesus, who walk in the Spirit, not only like Peterson last week, because of their relationship with this God who loves them and cares for them, provides for them and heals them of their sin and provides even for their future so they know that even through the hard times in life, even through loss, they know there's still something beyond. It just changes the perspective on life. So I'm going to ask us just to pray and open our hearts. Father, we come before you. We want to learn what it means to play and laugh, to live unburdened, to experience the romance of life, to move into the life of the kingdom as the way it will be, not just someday, someday in eternity, but even now, because you have told us through Jesus the kingdom breaks forth in the lives of people today. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask you to picture Jesus, if you would, just kind of in your mind, just a, a picture of Jesus, what he looks like to you. If he was standing there right now. And my guess is that Jesus has all kinds of Ways that you see him because you've probably seen pictures of him throughout history through art and and pictures that are painted even of, of, of words through messages that are given. You know, Jesus is serious or he's intense or he may be sensitive or you see him as kind. You may see him as sad or you may see him as angry with a frown on his face or looking at you disappointed. What I think is interesting is we're told in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, these words. It says in the Word of God, the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. So as you see, like the sun in the heavens radiates out light. Jesus radiates out the glory, the presence of God. And He's the exact representation of the being of God. 
Amplified Bible puts it this way. Jesus is the sole expression of God. And the very image of God's nature. So if you really want to look at any kind of topic, any kind of theme, anything in life, and you want to know what it looks like in the heart of God, you just need to look at Jesus. In fact, um, when you study the Gospels, one of the reasons people study the Gospel is to try and get a picture of what it's like with regard to how God reacts to different situations in different people and all kinds of different circumstances. And as you watch Jesus and his life and reactions, you get a picture of who Jesus is. So one of the reasons I want to start with Jesus this morning is because I think if we're going to really understand laughter and what it means, as Peter said last week, to have a playful heart and what it looks like in the kingdom of God, the best place to start is look at Jesus and to see how Jesus lived his life. And I hope in some ways, maybe as we look at this, you might get a different picture of Jesus than you've had in the past. I have to tell you, as I studied this, I began to see Jesus in a new light when I began to read Scripture and and look at the laughter, the joy, that kind of radiance of God's heart. One of the books I was reading on this week, and uh, there are very few written about the laughter of Jesus, one called The Humor of Christ. There was actually a book published in 1923 titled The Laughter of Jesus by a man named Elmer Willis Sarey. And I love how he begins writing. He says, I am waiting for a new portrait of Jesus. The current conceptions of the man of Nazareth are monotonous. Art and theology would have us to believe that Jesus never smiled and that he was a sad-faced man inclined to tears. And he goes on and writes quite a bit about um, different aspects of the laughter of Jesus. But I'm going to ask you, can you imagine Jesus smiling? Can you, can you, do you have any pictures in your mind of Jesus smiling? Or, or even thinking in your mind, can you picture him with what I would call a gut-wrenching, belly-aching fit of laughter? Can you imagine him with his disciples in, 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 in Dick Augustine being one of them telling a joke and Jesus is laughing? I know that's a hard picture to imagine, but anyway. Can you, can you see Jesus throughout his day with a twinkle in his eye and a smile on his face throughout his day more than a frown, more than a serious intent look? Some guy who's just driven to get something done. I think sometimes our pictures of Jesus are more reflections that we see in our parents or even in ourselves. And so wonderful that we can read in the Gospels a picture of who Jesus is. And I would imagine... Those who follow Jesus, who seek to know, follow, and become like Jesus, will begin to express that same kind of twinkle in their eye and smile on their face. And they'll have those fits of laughter. They'll be people who will be kind of lightened up because they live under this love, provision, and care of a father. I read, when a man grows old, his face is an index to his soul. So I'm getting a little older. My guess would be that's probably somewhat true. That your face begins to take on the expression of your soul. I'll just leave that there. When I look at Jesus, I find it really interesting. You can look at things in his life and you see, as, as I've quoted before, C.S. Lewis, who says, um, heaven is, for God, heaven is a serious business of joy. It's about joy. 
Think of all the pictures you see in the New Testament, even the stories that Jesus would tell about the kingdom of God. And they would be about feasts, they'd be about banquets, they'd be at this wonderful sense of, and it would actually end with this wedding party. Anybody that's been to a wedding lately? Planning a wedding? It's all about celebration and joy and festivity and fun. And that's the picture of the kingdom of God. Not just eternally, but now in relationship to him. And so as I began to look at this, I started to think about the fact that Jesus, he was serious about matters of the soul. You would find him intense. You would see him driven about things that are very important with regard to those things which are spiritual in meeting the needs of people and, and coming around people and helping them understand how their sin, their selfishness does not get them the life that God always intended. And he would be very serious about that. But what I think is really interesting, the end result often seemed to be joy, actually seemed to be laughter. Think of the people who would come to him for healing. There'd be crowds around him. And Jesus would be very serious and intent on dealing with this matter, this wounding in the heart and the soul. And he would heal a lame person. And what would the lame person do? The end result was always what? They would actually take their crutches, throw them away. They would start running and jumping for joy. And there would be this sense of hilarity, of laughter as they'd run off. Or a leper. A leper was a person who would walk around and make sure that no one would come near them and they would call out the fact that they're a leper so people would stay away. And Jesus would have a leper who would come up to him and Jesus, instead of saying, stay away and be unclean, like many of the rabbis of the day, came over and actually put his hand on him and healed him. Can you imagine what would happen? It's a serious stuff. Jesus comes and moves into it. But all for the purpose of bringing about a sense of grace and goodness and release and healing. And when he would heal that person, that person, my guess would be this. He would start going around as he was healed and start hugging people. They would see the skin become clean. And he would be filled with laughter. He meets with a woman at the well. And this woman at the well comes and she, she's seeking to be heard and understood. She's had a number of other husbands. And Jesus meets with her, meets with a woman in the midday, a time when you wouldn't come to bring water. He meets the need of her heart, tells her about the fact of a thirst. And he is serious about it. And she runs off. What's the end result? Full of joy. She goes back to her hometown and she tells everybody. And it says the town comes to him. And Jesus looks out at this group of people coming towards him. And he says the fields are white unto harvest as they're coming towards him. I think of this matter of the disciples. They're fishing all night. Jesus is teaching on the shore in the morning. It's midday probably. And Jesus says to Peter, let's get back in your boat. And I'd like to fish a little bit. Peter's going, ah, it's not, I don't really want it. So Jesus is somewhat serious. Somewhat serious. Goes, oh, Peter, just humor me. I know I'm not a fisherman. I'm a carpenter by trade. But I have a good feeling about fishing. They get out in the boat. He takes them to a place. Peter's still saying there's no way. They're all cutting in their time. They're throwing out the nets. And Jesus goes, before you throw it out there, put it on the other side. I have a good feeling about the other side. And he does. And he puts the net out there. And it says in Scripture that the net was so full it began to break that the other boat had to come alongside it. They pulled the fish in into both boats so full that it began to sink. And do you think Jesus was just frowning and, and sad-faced? He just, I bet you he just chuckled. And Peter, seeing his own inability and recognizing the ability of this Jesus, falls at his feet. And Jesus goes, hey, listen, don't, 
this is good enough that you recognize your need. Because you are humble and recognize your need, I'm going to make you not just a fisher of fish, but a fisher of men. And he's and there's a sense of joy. Can you imagine the boats trying to make it back, afraid they're going to sink? They forget that Jesus is still with them. Well, it's not only in those stories that you see the serious work of Jesus always ending in a sense of joy and laughter. But you have to think about the people that Jesus hangs around with. Now, I'm sure some of you have been told by your parents, as I was told by my parents, to be careful of the company you keep, right? The whole idea that, you know, bad company brings about bad results, you get in trouble, rubs off on your character. In fact, Proverbs 22, verses 24, verses 25, it says this, Make no friendship with a person given to anger. This is where your parents may have gotten this little proverbial statement to watch out the company you keep lest you learn from that person's way. Because your company, in a sense, reveals your heart and soul. And I find it very interesting that the kind of people that Jesus hung around with in his day, according to the religious people today, were the bad company. And if you really read it, you find that the people that Jesus didn't want to hang around with were the religiously proud and arrogant, self-righteous. They're the ones who had God figured out, put them in a box. They controlled God. They controlled everything. They were through their own their own life, going to somehow, by their own acts, be good enough for God. And Jesus seems to hang around with a whole group of different people. In fact, the sad face, what I call joy cop Pharisees, weren't too excited about those who Jesus was hanging around with. Listen to Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 2. The gospel writer makes this comment. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the joy cop Pharisees, that's in my paraphrase, um, And the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes and enjoys, enjoys sinners and eats with them. At one point in his ministry, Jesus was so fed up with the joy cop Pharisees, those who were always trying to regulate everyone's um, sense of who they should be, always judging, always coming down on them legalistically. At one point in his ministry, Jesus looks out at him and goes, I don't get you guys. He says, John the Baptist, neither, he came neither eating or drinking. He was an ascetic. He was one who, who gave his life to God. And, and he's not coming down on John the Baptist because this is the way that God wanted his ministry to be. He lived out in the deserts and he ate locusts and he dressed in really kind of weird clothes. And they said of him, says Jesus, you ha- that he has a demon. Now you have to catch this because this is the joy, the fun, the levity in the life of Jesus. Because he goes, in the Son of Man, I came eating and drinking. Okay, I didn't do the ascetic thing. I just entered into the life the way that you should enter into life, in a sense, enjoying all that God has created. And he says, I came eating and drinking, having a good time, enjoying life and laughing. That's my paraphrase. And you say, now catch this. Here is a glutton and a drunkard. That's got to tell you something about Jesus. He was being judged by the joy cops right now, saying, look, you just seem to be having too much fun, so much so that you eat too much and you drink too much. Uh, we're really concerned about you having a good time. And Jesus goes, 
And you call me a friend of tax collectors and sinners. The company I hang around with are people who are open and sensitive and hungry and want to live life in a way where they understand it and their hearts are humble enough that they know that through their own works, through their own life, they know that they are not going to make it through their religiosity. But they know that they're open to a fact that there's a God who loves them that would forgive them if they could just see it and know it and understand it. And I love, I love these people. We love to have fun. Does that rock your boat a little bit? And then I think of the stories that Jesus would tell. I think it's really interesting. You know, Jesus, who I, I, you know, as I was going through this, I got he is he is a really, really fun person. I, I honestly believe if he walked around the office with you, if he walked around the place you worked, if he went to the club that you were part of, I would think people would be attracted to him because he was a fun person who, who, who understood his father's deep love, was secure in that. And his soul was so ordered and so put together in such a way that there was such health and wholeness that he was flowing with love from the inside out, that people would just feel it. And Jesus could laugh and joke and enjoy people. He could enjoy sinners and tax collectors. He could enjoy people who would come to him with deep issues and seriously look at them and work on them and through a process of, of his, his presence, bring healing and seeing them laugh and move out of it with a sense of God's grace and joy being touching, touching their lives. And I just love it. So you look at Jesus again and you see the way he used stories. And you have to just laugh at it because Jesus didn't take people in himself real seriously in many ways. In fact, he was always trying to help people get a little more vulnerable and see themselves the way God the Father saw them rather than the way they wanted to come off. He loved to move through the denial system so they could just look at their life. So they could begin to... Move away from trying to justify themselves. And so Jesus would tell these different stories. And I think when he'd tell these stories at the time, I think there were a lot of times when people would go, Did he really just say that? did Did you hear what he said? Many times he'd tell these stories. He'd talk about how foolish it is for for us, any person, to stand in judgment of another person. He said, it's just foolish to do so because when you stand in judgment of another person, you're sitting there looking often at the sliver of sin in their own life and you've got this big two-by-four in your eye. I think when people would hear that, and especially the people who weren't taking this so seriously, the joy cops over here who were just going on, I can't believe this guy's talking like this, they would just kind of, can you believe you just said that? And then there would be these other stories as Jesus would tell these stories. He would talk about a guy who is um, really religious and really proud of the fact that he was this this person who was doing everything he could for God and and he was basing so much of his sense of righteousness not on on God and his grace and his love but on what he was doing that he would come to the actually he comes to the front of the church and and he would bow down in in front of the church he'd say God thank you so much for the way I I go to church you know every Sunday and God I give more than 10% of what I have and God I'm involved in this ministry and that ministry and God I you know I'm I know you're proud of me so am I that's the picture. And then there's a guy halfway through the service, Jesus says, who is, who is so aware of his life, 
or her life and the fact that it's not right with God and the fact that they need to be right with God sneaks into the back, maybe comes up to the auditorium, you know, I mean, to the uh, balcony part. That's because you can be farther away. And Jesus says he gives this picture of this person kind of sneaks in, hoping no one will notice, sits down and whispers, God, no one sees me. But would you just even have mercy on me? Now, I think when he would say these kind of stories, people would kind of go, did he just say that? And they would kind of laugh. Jesus would look at all these people who would come to him on a Sunday morning or maybe during the week when he's speaking. And they'd be stressed out just like you or me. You're worried about what's going to happen this next week. You're worried about a relationship. You're worried maybe about um, uh, what's going on with maybe a parent and, and an illness. Or you're worried about your kids. Or you're worried about your grandkids. Or you're worried about your next paycheck. You're worried about provision. And Jesus looked at people just like you and me. And he looked at them and he goes, you know what, guys? I would love for you to have a playful heart. I'd love for you to laugh for a moment and know that there's a God who is over all this. And if you just look over at the flowers... They don't, you know, they're just kind of every day they open up and say, Father, thank you. And some of you just look over at the birds and and they're not worried about where they're going to get that next seed. And I think people would just kind of go and relax. and, And I think he saw life in a way that just caused people to go, wow. Maybe there is a Father in heaven who loves me like He loves Jesus. And he'd go on and he'd tell stories. He'd tell stories with humor. I mean, seriously, some of this stuff really is kind of like, did Jesus just say this? Uh, at one time he would say to people who were trying to, to white-knuckle themselves into holiness, they were felt really good about the fact that, that you know, they, they were going to avoid sexual sin. They were going to avoid it. And he said, you know, sexual sin isn't about adultery and things like that. It's about what's going on in the heart. And, and, and he would kind of bring that up. And then he would talk to these people who, who were going to try really hard. So they would do things like this to make sure they wouldn't be sexually sinning. They would go to these kind of extremes. They'd make sure that women wear a veil over the face. Because, you know, if you could see the face, see the eyes, that could be a little bit, you know, that could create lust. And then they'd make sure they dressed in burlap sacks. And then the guys would come by. And the really holy ones, when they would walk by a woman, they would go like this. And hit themselves against a wall or something. I mean, that was kind of the jokes the rabbis would make. And Jesus goes, if you're really going to get serious about the sin in your heart, especially the sexual sin in your heart, guys, if you want to do it, then make it an extreme sport, like extreme holiness. Extreme holiness, you know, means instead of just putting your head down, pluck out an eye. You're laughing. I think they were laughing. And for those of you who think so... Sexual pleasure is a good thing. Listen to this. He says, pluck it out. Cut off your hand. Did he really just say that? Did I just say that? It's in the Bible. I think people would go and go, I can't believe this man, Jesus, who lived in such a way that he believed that his father deeply loved him. And that his father would provide for him. And that even when he'd go through tough times and even at times call out and go, where are you, dad? He would still trust that this God is God.
And so he could laugh. He could have a playful heart. He could move into life with a sense of lightness. And then he would look at people and he'd say, guess what? That's how your father thinks of you. That's how he loves you. Do you know what? Your father wants you to be serious about the things going on in your life. He, he wants to remove all the strategies, all the sin, all the selfishness that, that create all the relational stress, that cause all the, the consequences that are negative in your life. He wants to do the work in your heart, but here's the key. He said, you know what? Cut out your eye, cut off your hand. You know, if you really want to have life and enjoy life and walk in the fullness of it so you know joy and you can laugh and you can have a playful heart, it all begins with this. It's not about what you do externally. It's about the heart that you have. Kingdom life is about a new heart. If you want a new heart, you know where it comes from? It comes from a humble stance that opens yourself before God and says, you know what? I just invite you to become the Lord of my life. I invite you to take the sin in my life, the selfishness that's in my heart, and give me a new heart. Create that in me. Would you like that? If you're here this morning and you're in a place where you're going, you know what? I've been trying to white knuckle holiness. I've been, I've been thinking about the church and maybe I've only come for a few times and I've been thinking the church is if I just go to church and I do that enough and I'm here on Sundays and I'm like this guy, eventually then God's going to go, good job, you're in. And he's going to go, no, it's not about that. It's about you just opening your heart right now and saying, this Jesus who came on this earth to show us about a father who loves us, loved you so much that he would actually, through Jesus, die on a cross and in that death take away all your sin that you You need not worry about that anymore. He will remove it and give you a new heart. And you're not going to become holy immediately. It's not going to be your good immediately. Some of you, you realize you've lived in a sense of stress and and people who have walked the Lord. Stuff like this doesn't happen overnight. But it does happen as you walk with Jesus, get to know Him. He begins to create in you a new heart. I have to tell you, by experience myself, one of the reasons I've been speaking about joy is because that's the work God's been doing in us as a church, but also in my own life. The elders came to me last uh, was it in the fall and said, you know what? We did this thing and we came up. We thought we need more joy. And I was going to do a whole other series at Christmas. And then we did. We thought, OK, let's ask the staff what they think. We did this other little kind of inventory. And they came up and said, I think we should do joy. And so the, everyone's kind of saying, Kevin, do something on joy. I think what was going on, God was saying, Kevin, you need it. Lead your people into it. Begin to live in such a way that you don't have to control, you don't have to manipulate, you don't have to make things happen, you don't have to, you know, get into this place where you're going to try and get to the end of what you want, but you begin to move in a place where you go, God, you're the Father, you're the one who's provided, I'll just do what I'm supposed to do, and where that ends, I just let it go, and I'm just going to enjoy life, I'm going to enjoy my wife, I'm going to enjoy my kids, I'm going to enjoy this church. And we're going to laugh. And a lot of us are going to let go of some of the things we're trying to manipulate and control. We're going to begin to realize we have a Father who loves us, who's going to provide for us. And you don't have to kind of grab to get it. That's what the Gospel's all about. That's why Jesus would come and say, guess what? Just trust your Father. Ask Him for a new heart. And then begin to walk in the newness of that. Now, I have to share with you, there are some things around laughter that I'm going to encourage you to, to, to watch for. There, there are some things that will show a disordered heart, a heart that's not right, okay? And I'm going to share with you just three things. I'm going to share them quickly. There is laughter that gloats. Okay, that's not 
the kind of laughter that's in the kingdom of God. In fact, these are things you should not be laughing about. In fact, when you do, just stop and go, whoa, what's going on here? Because it probably reveals something in your heart. There is a scripture that says this in Proverbs twenty four seventeen: Rejoice not when your enemy falls, not, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles or is overthrown, lest the Lord see it and it be evil in his eyes and displease him, and he turn away from his wrath from him to expend upon you the worst offender. Obadiah at one point in chapter 1, verse 12. There's a warning against it. It says you should not look down. He's talking about the, the nations around Israel because Israel's now on the downslide. They were the glory nation for a while. Now they're on the way down. He says you should not look down on your brother. He calls him a brother in the day of misfortune, nor boast so much in the day of their disaster because guess what? The day of the Lord is near for you as well. There is a kind of gloating that takes place. Think of the movies like 101 Dalmatians and think of Cruella Deville. You ever thought of the name? Cruel Devil. And you would hear her laughter. Or a Dr. Evil. Mwah. You know, whatever. Anyway. In athletics, anytime the Twins beat the Yankees. Or anytime the Packers beat the Vikings. Playing games. Have you ever found yourself being Dr. Evil in games, just gloating? <laughs> that tells you something about your heart. And I say this because I'm, I'm kind of a gloater in games. My wife's here to, to tell you that competition sometimes in our situation isn't the greatest. But I ask you to think about it. What's going on in the heart? There'd be a little beat-up person there needing to win. Laughter that gloats. Laughter that mocks. Genesis tells us, and it's a great story, well, and I love to read it all to you because it talks about Sarah and Sarah wanting this child and never getting this child. And finally, God comes to her in her old age. She's 99 years of age. Abraham's 100 years of age. And it says, Sarah says, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me, which is a really good kind of laughter because it's the kind of laughter Jesus had in the kingdom. It's the grace kind of laughter. I can't believe how incredible this is. Sarah's laughing because God is so good to me at 99 years of age. How many are 80 here? Just raise your hand, women who are 80, please. Is that okay? That's a bad thing to do. Okay, not doing do that. How many are 99? Imagine having a baby at 99. Imagine having the desire of your heart being fulfilled at 99 years of age. That's what's going on. She goes, and she laughs. But then in that same passage of Scripture, what is really interesting, if you note at verse 9, you find Ishmael mocking. Laughter that mocks is never a part of God's kingdom. And when you find it in your heart and your life, you better go and say, what's going on in my heart? It, it shows something in the soul. The child grew and was weaned. And on the day that Isaac was weaned, which is about two years of age, so you see little Isaac, he's walking around, you know, stumbling and falling. He's been weaned and and Abraham's throwing a celebration for his child because this is the promised child who will now receive the inheritance. For a while, Ishmael was going to. But you see in Scripture, it says, Abraham gives us great feast. But Sarah saw the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had born to Abraham, Ishmael, was mocking and she said to Abraham, get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the woman's son will never share the inheritance with my son Isaac. I could go, there's a whole other message on that. But to mock is, is merely to attack or to treat with ridicule, contempt, to mimic defensively, derisively. It's to use humor as a weapon. And I want to tell you, in the work world, I've been there. In the, in the, uh, in the locker room, I've been there. In the school room, I've been there. On the athletic field. 
I've been there. That kind of humor is often used. It's no different than the teenager Ishmael is doing by the campfire that night as he mimicked and ridiculed this little two-year-old because really what's going on is he's angry because he lost his inheritance. And you have to ask yourself, when you're mocking, you're putting yourself in a higher position in order to put someone down. That's not kingdom laughter. That shows something going on in your heart. And I just say there's something wounded there. You can either kind of deny it or you can begin to say, God, help me see it. I need a new heart here. There's another one that I'll share, and these are not, these are not black and white, because it's what I call laughter that teases. And teasing can be a really playful, fun way of doing something. But sometimes teasing in some family systems are not always so kind, right? I know my family of origin were big teasers. We love to tease, to the point sometimes that we were insensitive to the wounds of another person, or we were doing it because it was just at the expense of someone else. There's a proverb that's really interesting. It says, even in laughter, the heart may ache and rejoicing may end in grief. Anybody been there where you've had the jabbing of teasing and you're laughing with them? That's right. I mean, anybody felt that? I have. While laughing through the teasing, your heart is aching. And at the end of the laughing, as it dies down, you leave grieving and lonely and somewhat wondering and I just say sometimes you need to look at that in your own situation. One of the reasons it's hard to give up, because I'll tell you it's really hard to give up, because it's a lot of fun. And then it's just a lot of fun. Now, there's teasing that's good, but there is teasing that you need to take stock in and be aware of. Now, let me just share with you three things, and we'll close on this. If, if those are some forms of laughter that I think the Word of God says, you know, reveals your heart, it wasn't kingdom kind of laughing. Let me share with you what I think are some things that keep people from laughing. And I think one of them is this, that we look at life too soberly. Basically, um, we have a hard time looking at life in the sense of grace, in the sense of um, God's goodness. Now, last week we showed this um, little slide, or this little thing. You saw it. Some of you did, some of you didn't. This is called a not very sober way of looking at life. Remember this? These little kids are drunk on the wonder and mystery of life. They just look at life and go, isn't this the coolest thing in the world? Oh, rubber band! Some of us are too sober. Some of us take ourselves too seriously. You can't laugh at yourself. You're so easily offended. You know what I found is I'm, I can be really easily offended. There are some people who look to be offended, though. They're waiting. To be offended. You know, when you find offense happening, what's really going on? There's usually some kind of wound there that you're reacting to protect. And it's hard to laugh at yourself when you're trying to go like this all the time. And I just encourage you to start saying, where is that wound? And the last is this. You view relationships too narrowly. And what I mean by that is simply this. That if you're living life and you put way too much of life in one basket, maybe it's your relationship with a spouse or you want a boyfriend or a girlfriend or you're looking for this next raise or you're looking for this next thing and everything's about the next thing. If that happens, then you're going to have joy. If it doesn't happen, you don't have joy. You can't laugh. You can't be light. It's why Jesus, um, we're told, 
would hearken back to the commands of God and why God through Moses would give this command. The first command is this. It's a, it sounds narrow and restrictive, but it's the most broadening, freeing command in the world. It's the greatest command. He says, put nothing first. Put, put nothing, don't put anything in all these narrow baskets, but put all of your faith and trust in me, God. Put me first, because then when those other things begin to topple, there is still one that stands strong that will hold your life firm and anchor you so that even through the tough times, it may not be that you're laughing. I'm going through some tough stuff with my parents right now and their situation, and it's, it's, it's not like you go around laughing. Some of you are going through tough stuff, but you go through it with a sense as you go through it knowing that your life is not about what's happening here, but it's about what's being anchored in God. So I want to invite you in this moment as we have a worship team as they kind of share with us in a second to just say, God, where am I maybe looking at life too soberly, where I need mystery and grace? Where am I taking myself too seriously, where I need to be healed? Where is my life as I look at it too narrow, where I'm just putting way too much in one little thing? And I need to, again, anchor it all back in you and trust you. Take these moments and just reflect them.